welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, I am coming to you from San Juan, Puerto Rico, uh, where I've been uh, practicing my Spanish, hopefully with an accent better than that was. Uh, well but done. the president made his trip here uh, to Puerto Rico. We uh, spent about uh, four and a half hours on the ground, even met up with his, uh, his newfound nemesis, the mayor of San Juan, uh, for, for, a, for a brief encounter. And uh, I got to tell you, Rick, I've covered presidential visits to disaster zones and vice presidential visits. I have never seen a visit like this one of Donald Trump to Puerto Rico. What made it different, uh, John Carl? What made it different? Was it the fight with the mayor? Was it the paper towels that he tossed out? What, what, what exactly made this one different than all other trips? Well, when he visited the, uh, the church, which is one of the many kind of many distribution centers for, uh, for supplies for hurricane victims, it was something to see him uh, tossing paper towels out like he were uh, shooting baskets. Uh, it was really something. But let me just give you two, <laughs> two little examples, and there are others, but let's, let's just start with this. There was when he was getting his, his briefing uh, with the governor of Puerto Rico right next to him, he started talking about the death count from this, uh, from this storm, comparing it to Katrina as if he were trying to keep score with how he handled the hurricane and how George W. Bush handled his. Listen to this. If you look at a real catastrophe like Katrina and you look at the tremendous hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people that died, what is your death count as of this moment? 17? 16 certified. 16 people certified. 16 people versus in the thousands. Uh, you can be very proud. So, Rick, there's that, but there was a there was another moment. I mean, I got to say, you know, the president's talked about all the efforts. He's given himself very high marks uh, for the federal response here. Uh, talked up how great the Coast Guard has been, how great the military has been, how great FEMA has been. Uh, but he also couldn't help resisting also talking uh, about how expensive it all is now i hate to tell you puerto rico but you've thrown our budget a little out of whack because we've spent a lot of money on puerto rico and that's fine we've saved a lot of lives and as he made that point rick the president had the budget director with him i mean i've never seen a president visit a disaster zone and bring his budget director have you <laughs> no i and it's a sense that it's just what was on his mind and I, you know, John, I, I'm curious your take on this, because the, the president engaged in that very odd Twitter fight with the mayor of San Juan, whom he, he ended up seeing at least briefly uh, while on the ground in, in Puerto Rico. This was a very short trip, uh, and, and the president obviously has those comparisons of Katrina in his mind. How much of this is, is, is the president essentially playing defense against his legacy? The Katrina stuff, is the White House, are they sensitive about the, the comparisons that are out there and, and trying to push back against those perceptions? Rick, from the start, and I don't mean from the start of the crisis here in Puerto Rico, I mean from the time that Harvey hit Houston, Hurricane Harvey. Uh, the White House was very defensive and, and eager and this is a good thing, uh, not to repeat the mistakes that were made by George W. Bush uh, in Katrina. The president, as you recall, visited uh, Texas very shortly after the, the, the hurricane hit, um, perhaps too soon, because uh, there was no real infrastructure to handle uh, the visit. Uh, visited, you know, again uh, a, a few days later, 
uh, did the same with when, when Irma hit Florida. And, you know, this, this visit was a little delayed, uh, no question. Um, uh, he didn't get here. This is two weeks since the uh, storm hit shore in Puerto Rico. There was, a, you know, several what it seemed to be lost days when he was tweeting about NFL players and the national anthem and, and saying nothing, uh, doing nothing apparent about what was going on in Puerto Rico. So he is playing uh, some catch-up here. But, but the president is very sensitive, and the White House is very sensitive to any suggestion uh, that he is, you know, basically doing a repeat of, of, of George W. Bush and Katrina. And the scorecard, I mean, is that, does this jive with your perceptions on the ground in, in, in Puerto Rico that, that people feel like there's something to be celebrated here? Uh, or, or is there a different sense about how long this road to recovery is going to be, regardless of the, of the ultimate death count? No, I, I tell you, well, first of all, I've spent, uh, spent much of the day traveling around the island today, and I, I met up with a gentleman by the name of Hector Garcia, a uh, retired uh, carpenter, fisherman, just an unbelievably inspirational guy. And I saw him in his home, I mean, what was left of his home. He was in the second floor, the roof gone, three of the walls gone, in his kitchen. So you see, you know, you see what's left, you see the refrigerator, you see what's left of his, uh, you know, his cabinets, and it, it's all there, but it's like the, the, the house has been ripped in half. And he had what he had been given uh, by, uh, by, by, you know, in terms of, of relief aid. He had six bottles of water and some canned goods in a plastic bag. That is the sum total of what he has received wow. from any federal relief. Uh, and I got to tell you, though, talking to Hector Garcia, he, first of all, didn't realize that Trump was here today. Uh, I told him about that. Uh, you know, perhaps not surprising that he wouldn't be... Um, you know, watching television, given that he has no electricity and no expectation of getting electricity for months. But he was not complaining whatsoever. He was grateful that the president was here. And what he said to me is the fact that he is here underscores that uh, this is a real crisis yeah. and that we all need here, not just me, but many, many people on the island are in great need. So I, you know, the, 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 the people here are not, you know, celebrating the low death count, not at all. Uh, but they're also out trying to rebuild and rebuild uh, on their own, but grateful for whatever help they can get. I think that's exactly right, John. And I know you've got to go and, uh, and, and do the rest of your job, go make some television. But it is an extraordinary moment in the history of this presidency, these twin crises, the president spending one day uh, in the storm zone in Puerto Rico, the very next day in Nevada, uh, in Las Vegas, the site of now the deadliest mass shooting in the history of the United States, both things hitting this presidency at once, a true test for leadership. And that's why we wanted to talk to a member of the Republican leadership in the House of Representatives, my colleague, Mary Alice Parks, and I, we're going to talk to Kathy McMorris Rogers, the chair of the House Republican Conference after this break. Are you feeling limitless? I don't think I've ever told this story publicly on the air anywhere, but I'll tell it now. Welcome to No Limits. I'm Rebecca Jarvis. Are you a psychiatrist? <laughs> no. Each week, we're taking an honest look at success and how to get there with the boldest, most influential women in the world. Jessica Alba. Ariana Huffington. Issa Rae. Barbara Corcoran. Robin Roberts. Welcome to No Limits. Listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. This is No Limits. 
Hey there, it's Mara Schiavocampo from Good Morning America. Like so many people, I've struggled to find that perfect balance between health and happiness. Name a diet, I've probably tried it. Crazy workout plan, yep, I've done that too. But I learned it was my approach that was actually weighing me down. After losing 90 pounds, I discovered it's not just about reaching a healthy weight, it's about finding peace and freedom. I have a podcast called Motivated, focused on all things health and wellness. Join the conversation. Search Motivated on Apple Podcasts and subscribe today. And welcoming in my colleague Mary Alice Parks right now to the podcast. We're pleased to be joined by Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, the the chair of the House Republican Conference, a Republican from Washington State. Congresswoman, thanks for being here. Great. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Okay, so let's talk about the the agenda a little bit. The big uh, agenda item for the week, passing a budget. Uh, the budget would be a precursor to a, a broader tax reform package. And I was struck by something that, that something that one of your former colleagues, who's now the OMB director, Mick Mulvaney, said earlier this week. He said, we need to have new deficits in order to spur growth. And that was used as justification for the tax package. Are you comfortable and is your conference comfortable uh-huh. with new deficits to pay for tax cuts? Well, our, it's certainly our priority to get this economy growing. We've seen a stagnant economy. We've seen stagnant wages. And we believe that tax reform is one of the best things that we could do for every, every person in this country uh, to give them more opportunities, give them more take-home pay, create jobs. And a part of that is the growth in the economy. Um, as far as the deficits, I, I prefer, I would still like to see this to be deficit neutral because I don't want to see another fiscal cliff. Um, But I do think that tax reform is also one of the best things that we can do to help counter the rising debt that we've accumulated as a country. Because if we get more people working, our economy growing, that's going to create more revenue to the federal government that helps pay for uh, the programs, the government spending, uh, more money towards our military, our defense, helps us balance budgets and ultimately pay down the debt. That's part of it. I think think when it comes to deficits and the debt is twofold. Part of it is the economy and the revenue. And in that regard, I would agree with Mick Mulvaney that we need the the tax reform in order to get get our economy growing. But I also believe that we must be very vigilant about the spending within the federal government and rethinking uh, the programs for efficiency and um, and getting uh, getting the outcomes that we need. So I know there's going to be a big debate about dynamic scoring and, and exactly how this all works, but I will focus on, for a moment on the middle class because the, mm-hmm. the, we, we've heard from from the White House a big big priority is is getting a tax cut for the middle class. As you know, uh, there, there's a lot of tax cuts in here for, for wealthy Americans as well. We're talking about a lower top tax bracket. We're talking about lower corporate taxes. And we're talking about no estate tax at all. That only benefits, of course, the, the wealthiest uh, Americans and small businesses. What's your bottom line and what's the, the conference bottom line? Is Can this be a tax cut for the wealthy or is that a, a deal breaker if it turns out that a large number of wealthy Americans pay less? Well, when I think it's important when you look at what you just described as far as bringing down the corporate tax rates, that we're also we're closing loopholes, we're eliminating the deductions. What we're doing is actually eliminating, you know, a lot of what some of the the corporations use in order to avoid paying income taxes. And so, I don't believe that it is accurate to say that this is just going to be um, just because you bring down tax rates that they're going to be paying less taxes. We're 
we're eliminating deductions, closing loopholes such that it will be a simpler, fairer tax code. Our goal is to get the economy growing. And we believe that simplified, fairer tax code is the way to get the economic growth, give give businesses that certainty. But our um, we really want to gear our tax relief to to individuals, to middle class, to small business owners. Those the small business owners in this country are actually the ones that are paying most of the time the the highest, most effective, highest effective tax rate in this country. Small business owners. There there are job creators. The large large majority of jobs are created through small businesses. Um, and then middle-class families that are carrying the tax burden, that are seeing their cost of living continue to increase every year, whether it's uh, food costs or health care costs, they need relief. And that's our priority. Uh, we, want, we want more jobs, fairer taxes, and bigger paychecks. And all of it can be, you can see it all for yourself at fairandsimple.gop. It's where we really uh, put all the details on this framework that we released last week. You know, Congressman, I would like to switch, though, to the other major story this week, that horrific shooting in Las Vegas. And right now, people across the country are learning a lot about these so-called bump stock devices that reportedly the Las Vegas shooter used to make his gun mimic a machine gun. Why should these be legal? Will Republicans take up a bill to outlaw these devices? Well, uh, you know, I think it's important that you... Uh, recognize we're getting the facts. This is a, a this is a device that we are all becoming more familiar with. Uh, it's a more recent device that has been made available, and I think we all need to get a better understanding of the details. And we're we're asking those very questions right now. Uh, we're talking to ATF. We're talking uh, to others about you know what is this device? How exactly it works? And uh, if it if it has the effect of being a machine gun. Uh, whether or not that should be uh, uh, allowed, right? So, or who should have access to those types of weapons? But I really, I really think that this this debate, you know, it is it's heartbreaking when you see what happened in Las Vegas. We're all just shocked, and we are uh, all looking for answers when we see so many lives cut short. I just had a, a shooting in um, my district and. At Freeman High School uh, a, a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and it's so difficult. Parents now are afraid to send their kids to school and reminded of just how, you know, that this could happen anywhere. I just, I think this is much larger than a debate over, you know, this device. I think we need but- to really be giving thought to us as a society and how we are treating each other and civility towards one another and the importance of rebuilding the moral fabric of this country. But a lot of folks are asking if there are specific things that Congress can do to make these uh, these occurrences more rare, just to, to stop these sort of shooters. I mean, after the Sandy Hook shooting, you said we need to do everything possible to make sure something like this never happens again. So is Congress, in your opinion, doing everything possible to keep these kinds of events from happening? We, we absolutely must do everything possible. Uh, Congress has taken action on mental health reform. Uh, I was proud to support mental health reform, which I, I think when you look at a lot of these incidences, you're dealing with people who have mental illness. However, I also believe that there's other issues that need to be looked at, and it's much bigger than um, a, a simple law that we could pass and that may or may not actually have it make a difference. I think 
we all need to be taking a responsibility to help rebuild the moral fabric in this country. We are we are divided. We're seeing everything uh, from our own perspective. We're not taking the time to listen to understand one another. And when you and when you look at um, when you look at just um, where we are as a country, I guess I'm just very concerned that it's so easy to put labels on people and to dismiss them and to um, then not value them as human beings. And, and, I, and I fear that as we're becoming more divided and we don't teach right and wrong and we don't have that fundamental moral fabric, that it is also a contributor to these kinds of incidents. But just to put a button on it, you can't legislate moral fabric. So is it, 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 I'm hearing from you, though, an openness to at least consider legislative solutions. If there's something, if there's a loophole or something that you learn from this incident to say, this is something that we'll at least consider in terms of, in terms of gun safety, gun control. I think we need to get the facts. But I also believe that each one of us need to take a responsibility to, uh, in our own roles, in leadership roles, but everyone, you know, giving, you know, how we treat our neighbors, how we treat our family and our friends. Uh, we need to take a responsibility to be people that are uh, part of the part of a solution and that we care and we show compassion. And, and for those that need help, we are providing that, um, you know, and um, I would love to consider <laughs> continue this. I am down at the White House and I'm having to go through security and i'm sorry i'm just going to have to jump off here okay well good luck good luck uh, good, good luck with the white house meeting we appreciate uh, you okay. taking a couple minutes with us congresswoman appreciate okay. it okay thank Thanks. you congresswoman bye well mary alice the, the mind can race with the possibilities of the conversation at the white house i don't think gun control actually on the agenda for for what they're likely to discuss but i i, I wonder if I mean, a lot of times after these incidents we immediately turn toward the solutions that are out there already. And we talk about background checks and we talk about the assault weapons ban and we talk about terror watch lists and the like. But it's possible that this shooting highlighted something that legitimately wasn't on the radar screen. People weren't talking about it before. And if it spurs that discussion, they learn more about it. Maybe, possibly, there is a there is action that can happen at the congressional level. Yeah, this does seem like a different moment because there's this very specific right. device and you have people across this country looking at it and it just seems so destructive, so horrific. And with this very direct correlation, they could Congress could pass a bill that would have directly impacted what happened uh, just just a few days ago. Okay, and uh, we're going to talk in, in, a, in a few minutes now with, uh, with a, a congressman on the Democratic side, Seth Moulton, a combat veteran who's very involved in this, because Democrats aren't going to stop the push for gun control. They see this as a galvanizing moment, but I also think, Mary Alice, that they're, they're viewing it a little bit differently than they have previous ones. They're not expecting, in my mind, that there's suddenly going to be a floor vote. This isn't like Sandy Hook when there was a major legislative push. A lot of the efforts are going to be around defense and I think around positioning for down the road. And about just making a scene. I think they feel like they have a, a wave of public opinion right now, and they want to make sure that, that people who are really hurting have a little bit of a voice. Uh, Seth Moulton, who we're going to be hearing from, walked out on a moment of silence that uh, the Republican lawmakers had called for, saying that this was not a moment for silence. It was a moment for action, really wanting to validate some of the concerns from, I'm sure, his constituents and people around the country. Hey, this is Dan Harris, and uh, I want to tell you about my podcast called 10% Happier. You can listen every Wednesday for new guests and new perspectives. Some of these are people you know, uh, celebrities, athletes, executives. Uh, some of them are uh, more obscure people that I'm obsessed with that I think you might be obsessed with once you uh, give them a listen. 
and you can hear about how they're using meditation to up their game in all these interesting areas of life. Again, the podcast is called 10% Happier. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now and subscribe today. Joining us now on Powerhouse Politics, Congressman Seth Moulton, a Democrat from Massachusetts. Uh, Congressman, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you being here. Thanks for having me on. So let's let's start with uh, the this week, and uh, you know it's been an emotional week and a, and a gut wrenching week in the news out of Las Vegas. What is the the strategy from here when you talk about the the potential legislation? We've seen so many stops and starts after Sandy Hook, after Orlando, after San Bernardino, after Columbine. You can go back and say, well, all these efforts they failed to produce anything in terms of new gun controls or new gun legislation. What in your mind could make this different, and what is the Democratic strategy? Well, to be honest, I don't know how many innocent Americans have to die before our Republican leadership is willing to even just have a debate on this issue, let alone a vote on some measures that would make our community safer. But I know that I'm working behind the scenes with Republicans, with colleagues of mine who are willing to cross the aisle on this, who are going to push their own leadership to bring these issues up for a debate and a vote, and we're going to try to get some things done. It seems like there's a, 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 I think the country has learned a lot about gun technology, and there's a potential for something narrow to be done. We talked to, uh, to the, the chair of the House Republican Conference a few minutes ago, Kathy McMorris-Rogers. She wants to learn more about the technology that was used in this case to essentially create a, an automatic weapon. So my question is, do you go after that and say, look, this is a, a one small thing that we know we can do and maybe do it legislatively or... Uh, through ATF? Or is this an opportunity and a necessity for something broader that gets at background checks, that gets at terror watch lists, that gets at the assault weapons ban, for instance? Well, we absolutely should do all of these things. I mean, nine out of 10 Americans, not nine out of 10 uh, liberals or Democrats, but nine out of 10 Americans support universal background checks, closing the gun show loophole. Uh, and that has been measurably shown to make our community safer. Uh, I have a bill to prevent terrorists from buying guns. Uh, the vast majority of Americans support that as well. But I also think that if the only thing we can get is uh, a measure to outlaw the type of technical che- um, modification that the shooter in Las Vegas used to make his weapons into automatic weapons, then we should do that. We should do anything that we can to move to this forward and to make some progress on, on this real, real public health crisis that's affecting America. You mentioned that you were talking behind the scenes to some Republican colleagues, and we hear that you might have talked to Speaker Paul Ryan on the House floor. What has the reaction been from Republican leadership? Will they come to the table on any of these possible legislative items? You know, I approached uh, Speaker Ryan in private, actually not on the House floor, uh, so I could just level with him and say, look, is there anything that we can do here? Is there any way that Republicans and Democrats can come together? And you know, I just have to say he was not optimistic. He didn't, he didn't offer any suggestions. And that was disappointing uh, because I understand that he has political pressure from the NRA and from members of his caucus. But he's the Speaker of the House. He is supposed to be a leader here in Washington. He should do his job and figure out a way to move this forward when the vast majority of Americans want us to do something to make our community safer. So what will you do now to then force the discussion further? I mean, you boycotted a moment of silence. Will you boycott votes? Oh, they'd be, the Republican leadership would probably be thrilled if I boycotted votes. So I certainly <laughs> won't do that. Uh, but uh, what I'm doing is not, is, this is not about the boycott. Uh, this is about the work that's going on 
uh, between members of Congress on both sides of the aisle to try to try to get some things done. Now, there aren't a lot of Republicans who are even willing to work on this. But now is the time when some of them are. And so uh, we've got to further those discussions. And that's what I'm doing. Uh, I've had several discussions with Republicans just in the last 24 hours about things that we can do, legislative strategies that we can get, take to try to get more Republicans on board. And I'm going to keep plugging away at that. You're right that after every tragedy, people say we've got to do something and then Congress fails to do its job. But, you know, someday this is going to change. Someday we're going to reach a tipping point. I'm not sure where it is, but I'm going to keep pushing as hard as I can to reach that tipping point as soon as possible. So, Congressman, I understand recently you got married. Is that correct? I did. Congratulations. I, did. I got married to an amazing woman. Con- yes, I'm congratulations. very lucky. And uh, I guess to celebrate, you, you ended up in Iowa like a couple weeks later, uh, just like any good married man, immediately <laughs> heading off to, uh, to Iowa. But I want to I ask you about something that you said there at the, at, at the Polk County You're gathering. You're suggesting that Iowa is not a good destination for I honeymoon? I love sure Iowa. Iowa. I've stayed at some great that. hotels in Iowa. Listen, no, no, there's no I've shortage of, of Iowa fans Iowa. in this I had place. a great steak in Iowa. I mean, you know, <laughs> Iowa's a great place. Yeah, that's that. I've heard that quote before from politicians. I bet you, I bet you'll be back once or twice. But let, let me ask you about something that came up, in, particularly at that at that steak fry. You mentioned the the necessity for Democrats to get back in touch with the voters we have lost, and I understand that that's a it's a very uh, uh, it's a common critique of what ails the Democratic Party right now. But when you look at the gun issue, the polling's on your side. I, don't, I wouldn't doubt that. But culturally speaking. It hasn't become a voting issue in the same way. And you know, when you when Democrats talk about gun control, you are turning off a good segment of the voting population in this country. It's undeniable that, that I think that it happens every time. So how do you square that? I mean, if can Democrats go out and advocate for gun control, short of it making a, vo- a voting issue, can you advocate it, it, for gun control without alienating voters that, frankly, you need to vote for you? Yes, but you've got to talk about it in the right way. And you've got to talk about it as a Democrat who actually understands the issue, who knows guns. I mean, look, I'm an infantry veteran of the United States Marine Corps. I had to use guns every single day in Iraq. It was part of my job. Uh, I've also seen gun violence firsthand. So that's why I'm someone who's speaking out about this, because uh, when I sit down with veterans, they at least know that I'm ta- they're talking to someone uh, who understands the issue. And I think that's why I've been able to have some productive conversations with some of my Republican colleagues, because as one told me today, uh, I know you're not going to just do the political thing. You're not just going to be radical about this. Uh, you're someone that's reasonable and I can work with. So I think that the, the issue is not uh, being able to talk about tough subjects. This is a tough subject and it does uh, you know, get under some people's skin. But you've got to talk about it with credibility and you've got to talk about it in a reasonable way. Congressman, I want to I want to turn to uh, another issue that's come up a, a couple of times uh, in your in your pr- pretty brief tenure in the House, uh, and that has to do with kind of the direction, the broader direction of the Democratic Party. And you've been among the the small band of Democrats so far who've who've uh, s- suggested and voted for uh, Speaker, uh, sorry, Leader Pelosi to, to no longer be the leader for the Democrats in the House. And it gets to the generational issue that you've spoken to, and I think quite eloquently about the need for a new generation of leadership. But where do things stand with that? And, and as, it, as it stands right now, will Nancy Pelosi be the Democratic leader on Election Day 2018? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's speculation, and it's up to our caucus to decide. Uh, and it's not just about her. I mean, I think it's time 
broadly speaking, for a new generation of leadership in the party. Democrats have got to come to terms with the fact that we've lost. We've lost so badly that we're in the worst position since the 1920s in the House, the Senate, the White House, and in state legislatures across the country where we've lost over a thousand seats in the last decade. We're simply not even in a position to be able to govern. And I think that's bad for the country. I think bad for Americans who, who want to preserve their health care, who want to make sure Medicare and Social Security are there, not only for themselves, but for their children, who want to grow our economy, not just cut taxes for the rich. There's a lot of good work that Democrats can do, but unless we reform the party and start winning again, we're not going to be able to do it. You know, to turn back to policy quickly, the uh, a bunch of Republicans met at the White House this week to talk about immigration. It's been another big topic uh, in the headlines the last few weeks. And you've written a lot about that DACA issue. You've said that Congress should be working with the White House and across the aisle to work on a big comprehensive reform package that would include border security and an earned path to citizenship. Is a path to citizenship a line for you? Should it be a line for Democrats? And are you willing to vote on a compromise that includes funding for a wall? Well, I've... I've all the immigration experts say that a wall won't do anything. And if you, you know, show me a 30-foot wall, I'll show you a 35-foot ladder. I mean, that's kind of the last thing that we need to actually improve border security. Uh, but is border security a problem? Are there places where we can improve it? Yes, there are. But we've also got to make sure that so many members of our communities, people who are uh, parts of our society do important uh, work for our businesses, that they have a pathway to citizenship so that they can start paying taxes like the rest of us. That's why best comprehensive immigration re reform uh, proposals uh, actually decrease the deficit because they put workers on uh, the tax rolls. That's the kind of compromise that we need. Even Speaker Ryan, before he became Speaker at least, supported this kind of legislation like the bill that passed the Senate. There are a lot of Republicans who support it as well, but it's another issue where the Republican leadership is just afraid to bring it to a vote. But clearly we have to make progress on this, and it's something that Democrats and Republicans should do together. When you, finally, I want to, getting to the issue of guns that, that has colored so much of the, the, the discussion this week, do you think that there were missed opportunities in the previous administration to push this? We know President Obama pushed it very hard after, after several tragedies, and I don't think there's any issue that he took as personally hard as, as he did uh, than, than the gun violence. Uh, but w were there opportunities for deals? Were there opportunities for Democrats to approach it differently that are now sort of gone with Republicans in united control? Well, I don't know. I think President Obama did everything he possibly could uh, because he had to meet with all these families and, in a sense, experience this tragedy through all of them. And he had to do it multiple times. So I think he did the best he could. But I think that we've got to make sure that Democrats who are leading on this issue are Democrats who understand guns, who can be respected by those on the other side of the aisle, those who want to preserve their Second Amendment rights, their hunting rights. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's understandable, that this is going to be a compromise issue. So we've got to make sure Democrats are coming to the table ready to have a reasonable discussion, because we may not get everything that we want. We may not be able to make our communities as safe as they should be or as safe as they are in other countries with more restrictive gun laws. But we've got to do this under the Constitution, and any progress will help. So even if we can't do everything we dream of, we've got to make progress, we're going to make forward progress on the issue. And I think that we've got to work with Republicans to do that. 
Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Appreciate you being here, and uh, we hope to have you back on maybe from Iowa or even New Hampshire or anything uh, like that in the future. Sound good? <laughs> I think Massachusetts would be great as well. Okay. Uh, thank you very much. We love the Bay State as well. Thanks, Congressman. Thank you. Take care. So, Mary Alice, uh, one to watch on the Democratic side, uh, one of the emerging young leaders, only 38 years old, uh, those, those, the, the combat veteran credentials, very compelling. He's getting invitations on the, on the national circuit. And I, I'm interested to see how his call and other calls for that next generation fit with the policy debates that often become stale, like the gun debate. We've, we've seen it play out. We've seen the movie before. But to the extent that there's new characters in the movie this time, whether that's President Trump or new characters on the Democratic side, can they do something? Can he reach out, say, a Seth Moulton able to reach out to a Speaker Ryan and others in the Republican side in a different way because, frankly, he hasn't been in fighting those battles for 20 or 30 years? I was surprised to hear him say that he thought he was making inroads for yeah. behind the scenes, behind closed doors with some of his Republican colleagues because at face value in front of the cameras, Republicans the last few days have just been absolutely silent on this issue, either refusing to answer questions about possible gun safety measures or saying that now is just not the time. Yeah, and the now is not the time thing. I mean, you hear it every every time after these, after these debates. And it's a strange thing because, uh, as a bunch of people have pointed out this week, you don't say now is not the time after something horrible happens in 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 the world of terrorism, for instance, or even a, the data breach that we saw recently. No one said now is not the time to have a congressional hearing on the Equifax data breach. It just didn't happen. No, time again. I mean, if the attacker had used a bomb, if it was right. an Ebola outbreak, I mean, that's when we see Congress jump into action yeah. when there's an issue of public safety. And when, and when there's an issue that captures the public's attention because it's such a fleeting attention. And the country is now focused on gun control in a way that it probably won't be, frankly, next next week or next month. Uh, so I, I am, though, struck by the, the at least openness to, to look at the facts of this and say, look, if there's something that needs to be addressed, uh, I'm amazed by how many members of Congress and advocates we're hearing from that say they just didn't know about this technology that was readily available that allowed a gunman to take something that you can purchase legally and turn into what's essentially an assault weapon, an illegal automatic weapon. Uh, and, and if you can address that piece of it, then it, it, it kind of gives you a hope for something else, that there's a potential for bipartisanship, even on an issue like guns. Right. It does seem like a concrete piece of legislation that is that could be possible. That's right. And so we'll see if uh, maybe our guests today are, are all a part of that. All right, Mary Alice, thank you. And, and thank you all for joining us. That does it for this edition of Powerhouse Politics. Special thanks to our producing team, David Ryan, Megan Hughes, Avery Miller putting together today's episode, plus uh, Miriam Khan in the field to help out John Carl joining us from Puerto Rico. Uh, please get on iTunes, leave us a review. You can, you can click on us anytime, anywhere, and please join us next time.